0: Today, we are landing the plane on the series that we've been in for the last number of weeks called Life in the Spirit. Um, for five weeks, we've been talking about what it looks like to walk in step with the Spirit, to, to keep in stride with the Spirit, to not just do life on our own down here with God up there where we check in every now and then, but instead, we're exploring this idea of taking seriously. Jesus promised that he would give his followers his presence through the Holy Spirit to guide and lead and counsel and direct our lives all the time, that he would be with us and in us always. And so we have been talking about how to live that way as followers of Jesus. We talked about Jesus as the ultimate example of what it looks like to live with the Spirit, surrendered and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Remember, we talked about how Jesus came and he did all these cool, amazing things, but how he did not just do those things because he was God, he actually did them through the power of the Spirit. And some of you are still wrapping your mind around that, but what that means for us is this, it's significant. We can actually live like Jesus because the same Spirit that empowered him is available and empowers us us. And so becoming like Jesus is something we can be. We can be like him. We can live the way he did through the power of the Spirit. We also talked about uh, what it means to cooperate with the Spirit. We use the image of a surfer and how a surfer learns to cooperate with a wave. We talked about how we must invite the Spirit into our lives and ask the Spirit to lead and surrender to the Spirit in order to have him work in us and through us to overcome our flesh, the, the broken sinful desires that live deep in our hearts. And the Spirit says, I can overcome those things in you and through you. And then we spent a week listening to the Spirit, a week where we asked a, a, kind of a basic Christian, qu- Christian question, really, and that's this. Can God talk directly to me? Does God want to talk directly? directly to me? How can I hear His voice, the voice of the Holy Spirit in my life? And then last week we talked about music and singing as the central pathway um, that leads us into a life filled with the Spirit. Last week's message was not one I had planned. It was not on the list. And, And then as I studied the scriptures and dove a little farther in, it just became apparent to me that that music and singing are a central part of what it means to walk with the Spirit of God. And now this week, we are going to finish up our series. I want to talk about how the Spirit accomplishes His work in and through us by empowering us with gifts. I'm calling this sermon, How to Use Gifts and Spirit Stuff. And there are four main passages that people point When they talk about the giftings of the Spirit There's Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 And there's Ephesians chapter 4 And 1 Peter 4 And this morning I'm going to touch on all four We're going to be all over the place But we're going to use Ephesians 4 as kind of a launching pad That's where we're going to start That's where we're going to kind of work from And so if you have a Bible and you want to turn to Ephesians 4 You can Verses will also be on the screens If you're using a pew Bible, it's page 948 As you turn to Ephesians. Let me just catch you up a little bit. Paul, in this letter, is writing to a young church, a church that's just figuring out what it means to, to live for Jesus and to walk with him and to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. They're figuring things out much the same way we are and so for the first three chapters Paul just reminds them of their foundation he preaches the gospel to them he talks about the death and resurrection of Jesus and how through this amazing event we have been redeemed and restored into right relationship with God once more he talks about the wonder of that He talks about the mystery of that. He talks about the power of that. He spends three chapters waxing eloquent on the majesty that is the gospel, the good news of us in right relationship with God. And then he he winds down chapter 3 with a prayer for this church. And his prayer is this, that out of God's glorious riches, that he would strengthen them with power through his spirit in their inner being. He says, I pray that you'll be able to live from and into this gospel, that the Spirit will empower you to live the gospel lives that God longs for you to live. And he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I urge you to live this Holy Spirit life from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the question today is how, how? That's our question for this whole series. How do we live this way? How do we step into this life with the Spirit? And once again, Paul offers some thoughts. How do we live a life worthy of our calling? He begins to tell us in verse 2. He says this, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul tells us right away that central to the Spirit-empowered life is unity. That if we want to live lives worthy of the calling we we have received, if we want to experience the power of the Spirit at work in our inner beings together, we must fight for unity. And friends, the basic question here is, when do we need unity? When we all act alike and think alike? When we agree on everything and all have the same perspective? No, that's not unity, that's unanimity. That's, we're the same. That's consensus. That means we all agree. Unity, I would argue, the kind of unity Paul is talking and calling us to here, is needed when we don't agree, when we're different, when we don't have the same ideas and passions and perspectives. Friends, the reason every time the New Testament talks about gifts And the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, unity is mentioned, is because there is something about engaging the Holy Spirit, experiencing His power at work in and through our lives that leads us towards individualism. And that's because when the Spirit works on me and when the Spirit works on you, He works in us in different and very unique ways. And so as I experience the Spirit, as the Spirit empowers me and gifts me and leads me forward, the more I get into my gifts and my passions and my experience of the Spirit, the more I start to see the world and experience God through my own lens. You know, I became a youth pastor uh, right out of college. I was 22 years old, and they put me in charge of a group of high school kids, not the smartest church ever. A really good church, but a huge lack of wisdom, really. They needed a word of knowledge from someone. But um, here's the thing about being a 22-year-old youth pastor. It's a ton of fun, but everyone in the church has a thought for you. I don't know if you know this or not about church people, but they have a lot of opinions. And I'm not saying that's bad. But here's the truth about them. Most of them don't feel free to share all of their opinions with the lead pastor, but everyone feels freedom to share their opinions with the 22-year-old youth pastor. And I joined this... This church, and they had a really great youth ministry, but I would have people coming up to me constantly telling me how to make the ministry better from their perspective, from their experience, from their gifting, from the way that they experienced the Holy Spirit flowing through their life. And people would come up, and they would say, man, we have a really good youth ministry, but... We should have more of a heart for the lost. We should practice more evangelism. If we could just teach our kids to evangelize and share the gospel with other kids. Then it'd be amazing. We have a really good youth ministry, but you know what? We don't care enough about like the marginalized kids, the kids that are hurting. We don't, you know, look after the weak and the meek enough. We need more mercy in our ministry. Or you know what? You know what really help our youth ministry be amazing? some organization, some strategic planning, if we just had some administration happening in the midst of that ministry, things could really take off. You see, everyone had a different idea, but they were all sharing from their own perspective. And when people start operating in and out of and from, their place of unique gifting and experience of the Holy Spirit all of a sudden, they get excited, they get passionate, they get zealous, because the Holy Spirit is a powerful and important thing, right? When you experience the Spirit of God working in and through you, it's not just like, you know, I like the Dodgers, and you like the Yankees, and man, a huge disagreement. It's like, no, God is doing something. Can't you see it? And people get extremely passionate, and sometimes those passions bump up against one another, and they create conflict. You know why Paul talks about unity in the scriptures every single time he talks about the Spirit, because sometimes the Spirit creates conflict because people are passionate about their experience of the Spirit. But friends, here's what I'm here to say. I will take that conflict every single day of the week, because as Calvin Miller said, Perhaps it's better that the church quarrel over how the Holy Spirit does his work rather than ignore him completely, as did so many churches of the 19th century. See, I'd rather have conflict and discussion, even arguments about the Spirit and how he wants to work in and through us. I'd rather have that conflict than to ignore the work of the Spirit in our midst. You see, the Holy Spirit can be hard, but he is Worth it. And unity says we may not be alike on all these things, we may not experience the Spirit in exactly the same ways, we may not have the, the same gifts and strengths, but we unite around bigger things. There are deeper and stronger and more important things that tie us together. And Paul lists a few here. Here's what he says. He says, hold on to unity. Amidst the diversity of experience that you have with the Holy Spirit, remember what unites you. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope and one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Remember what you are united around. Because you are so united in these things, you can have diversity in your experience of the Holy Spirit and remain together as one. So as the Spirit moves and works and gifts and empowers you in different and unique ways than other people, do not forget the ways that you are alike. Embrace the ways that you are different, but do not forget the ways that you are alike. And Paul says very clearly the key to maintaining unity, by the way, unity Such an emphasis in the New Testament. How are we, as followers of Jesus, at unity in the church today? Do we ever get ununited, divided? Do we ever start to quarrel and separate over issues that really at the end of the day don't matter in light of what of the things that that bring us together does that ever happen in Christian churches do we still need a message of unity in the Christian church today I think we do and Paul says the key to being a church filled with unity is humility Be completely humble, he starts. Here's the key to life in the Spirit together. First and foremost, be completely humble. You want to have unity? Be completely humble. This is Romans chapter 12. This is another place where Paul is talking about gifts, gifts that we have, that God wants to use, different and varying gifts in the church. He says this, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Now when we hear this message, do not think of yourself more highly, sometimes our natural response, our instinct is that we should think of myself, I should think of myself not more highly, but more lowly. I should think of myself more lowly, but that's not Paul's answer, Paul is not asking us to think of ourselves more lowly. He says, think of yourself with sober judgment. What does that word sober mean? Well, in the Greek, it means exactly what it means in English. Sober here, and the Greek word for it, means without impaired thinking. Think about yourself without impaired thinking. Now we use the word sober in terms of like impaired by drugs or alcohol most often. That drugs or alcohol will impair your thinking. They will will shift your thinking. You will not be thinking the right way. Paul is talking less about that. He's thinking more about do not have impaired thinking. Don't be impaired by pride or jealousy or superiority or insecurity. Do not let those things slip in and impair your thinking. Sober thinking, friends, is actually right thinking. It's honest thinking. Paul is saying, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Think of yourself just the way you are, the right way. Think of yourself accurately. That's humility. Humility says, this is who I am. Not, this is less than who I am. He says, don't, if you're this person, don't pretend like you're a lower person. You know what that is? That's false humility. That's not humility. That's, not, that's, that's inaccurate. Paul says, have sober judgment. Have humility. Just be honest about who you really are. Humility brings unity. Another thing that shows up over and over again in the New Testament Um, when gifts and the work of the Spirit are being talked about, is love. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is one of the, like, central chapters uh, describing the work of the Spirit, the stuff the Spirit does in and through our lives. And he goes on and on about all the different things the Spirit does, how we're all different, but how we all kind of work together, how there's diversity and unity in the Spirit as the Spirit works and moves through the church and through you and me. And then right after that entire chapter on the work of the Spirit, Paul follows it up with an entire chapter chapter on 1 Corinthians 13 love love right that is no accident friends he says love is patient love is kind it does not envy it does not boast it's not proud does not dishonor others. others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects and trusts and hopes and always perseveres. And we read those words and we think, what a great wedding homily. What great words for marriage. And they are. But they're not written for marriage. They're written for the church, experiencing the diversity of the Spirit. Paul says, when you experience the Spirit working and moving in all of you in many different ways, remember this, cling to love. Hold on to love. Why? Because again, Paul is after unity here. He's saying, don't let your different experiences with the Holy Spirit drive you apart. Do not let it happen, church. It must not happen. 1 Peter chapter 4. Again, another passage where Paul is talking about different gifts. Different people have different gifts and they're using those gifts. And then he says this. He says this in that context. This is probably my favorite verse in all of the Bible. And that's a weird thing to say because they're all pretty good. The whole Bible is pretty good verses. And I probably say that about a lot of verses. But this one actually might be. It is written on my floor in my office underneath my carpet. So I stand on this verse literally every day. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. In other words... The Spirit is going to lead you and guide you and direct you into different gifts and passions. And sometimes you are going to step on one another's toes. But if you are humble, if you love, those things will not drive you apart and you will maintain unity. Friends, we must wrap the workings of the Holy Spirit in our lives with love, humility, unity, and oneness. In this way, the Holy Spirit is like a Coca-Cola. Not in every way, but just in this one way. If my friend Todd here and I are hanging out and I offer him a Coke, he will say no because he's dieting right now. But that's a whole other issue. Sorry, Todd. (laughs) Personal information from the pulpit. That's always fun. I offer Todd a Coke, right? Now hopefully I'll offer him that Coke wrapped in an aluminum can. Or better yet, wrapped in a nice, tall glass bottle, right? But what if I offered Paul a Coke and it did not have that covering, that wrapping? I just dumped the Coke into his hands or poured it over his head. Would that be nice? Would he appreciate that? No, he would not. It would just be a wet, sugary, sticky mess. Friends, when the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is not wrapped in love and humility and unity and oneness, things get sticky and ugly real fast, and you've seen it happen in churches before. Verse 7, Ephesians 4, 7. But... To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. See, friends, here is the real reason we should be completely humble when it comes to our gifts and the working of the Spirit in our lives. We don't earn our gifts. Sure, we use them, we steward them, we learn to partner with the Spirit in them, but at the core, Of our gifts is this truth. They are undeserved and completely free from Jesus. Romans chapter 12, verse 6 says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. The word, the New Testament word for gifts is the word charisma. Charisma. And it's a really cool word. The root word of charisma, gifts, is the word charisma. Caris, which is the New Testament word for grace. Grace. You see, at the very center of your gifts is grace. This is why, friends, when we truly understand spiritual gifts, they will destroy jealousy and pride, and they will create humility. The example I came up with was, if I was a car person, I'm not really, but if I was, and I really loved cars, and There's a particular car that I just desired more than any other car, a Ferrari. And from the time I was a little kid, I always wanted a Ferrari, like a smoking hot red Ferrari. It's going to be amazing. And every chance I got, I saved. I took my birthday money and I saved it. I worked odd jobs around the house, took an allowance and I saved it. I mowed lawns around the neighborhood. I saved it. Then as I got older, when I had tax returns, saved those tax returns, saved and and stored away money like forever until finally one day I had enough money saved to go and buy a Ferrari. And I walked onto the lot and I said, I want, that one and we negotiated it and then I bought my Ferrari I was handed the keys I was driving off the lot I'm driving off and I see my friends and I pull up and they go wow that car is amazing how did you get that car how do I feel in that moment I feel proud Pretty proud of me, right? I earned this car. I deserve this car. I saved for this car. When all of the rest of you were out spending your money on silly stuff, I was saving and now I have a Ferrari. Look at me. But what if that story was different? What if as much as I wanted a Ferrari, maybe even as much as I tried to save, I never could really afford one. But then Keith Ebley said to me, Dave, I would really love to purchase a Ferrari for you. And I said, no, 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 Ke- I, sure, that'd be great, let's do it. <laughs> um, we'll talk after, Keith, <laughs> about that. But, and he said, no, I have to do it, and finally convinced me, we went to the dealer together, and he bought the Ferrari, I was handed the keys, I drove off the lot, I run into all my friends, and they say, whoa, that is a beautiful car, how did you get that car? How do I feel in that moment? Do I feel proud, do I feel self-righteous? No. I feel humbled, I feel grateful, I feel thankful, friends. That is how we we should feel when we experience the gifting and working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's like God just bought us a Ferrari and handed us the keys. We can't take any credit. All glory must go to him. Here's another thing about the word charisma, gifts. It's also where we get our English word charismatics. Have you heard this word? It's a word that describes a certain kind of Christian, the kind of Christian who is really focused on the gifts, who's excited about the gifts, who's passionate about the gifts, generally a certain subset of the gifts. We call them charismatics, but but I was thinking this week, I was thinking this week that we should all actually be considered charismatics, even us, even at Cedar Mill Bible Church, We should call ourselves Charismatics, and here's why. Because we all, every single one of us who follow Jesus as Lord, have the power and work of the Holy Spirit available to us. The power of the gifts is available to me and available to you if you follow Jesus Christ as Lord. So I want to suggest two things to you this morning. Using gifts of the Spirit is not as complicated or as limited as you may have been led to believe. Experiencing the power of the Spirit flowing through your life, offering you gifts, using you to accomplish God's purpose in this world, is not as complicated or as limited as you may have been led to believe. First, complicated. Let me read this from Romans 12. This is Romans 12. Again, a passage about the gifts, about gifts that God gives us to accomplish his will and purposes in this world. He said, this is what Paul says to the church at Rome. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. We'll come back to that. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. What is Paul saying here? This is not a complicated passage. He is saying this. There's some stuff you're good at that you're gifted in. Use those things as part of the church to advance God's mission in this world. You have some gifts. You have some gifts that are new to you. You have some gifts that you've had since you were just a wee little lass or lad. All gifts come from God above. All good and perfect gifts from God come from God above. Those gifts were given to you by the Lord. You have some things you're good at. Use those things as a part of the church to advance God's mission in the world. It is not that complicated. Let me give you an example. Some of you remember a little bit over a year ago, we were in here on a Sunday morning when all of a sudden there was a big pop followed by some smoke and we discovered that our entire sound system had exploded. It was a day where uh, Pastor Jerry was leading worship. He didn't have any more sound. You couldn't hear the band at all and so Jerry came down with his guitar. I think this is the 11 o'clock service, am I right? Was it? Yep. And he just sat right on the edge of the stage with his guitar and we just sang. It was like it was a big campfire, right? Without the fire. Well, there was a fire. It was campfire. <laughs> So we all just sang, right, acoustic songs with Jerry. It was fun, and people engaged, and it was really rich and wonderful. And we were all like, that was amazing, but it can't happen every week, and we have to fix this sound system. And so as we kind of dove in a little bit, we discovered our sound system was in big trouble. And sitting in the congregation that day, in the gathering of the church, was a guy named Cal Perkins. Cal has gone to church here for a long time. Some of you know Cal. Um, And he'd kind of flown under the radar, Cal, as we discovered later, was like a a really high up sound tech engineer, someone who would worked in sound for years, someone who had numbers of patents, someone who had designed things. He worked for, for companies like JBL and Fender. We later discovered that Cal's name is etched on our sound mixing board in the back because he had a hand in designing and developing it. This guy is really, really talented. Well, Cal had kind of flown under the radar here for a long time, had decided that he did not want to engage his work in and through the church. and He kind of sat back. But when this happened... Cal said, maybe God is asking me to step forward. And so he came forward, offered to do some work for us, kind of dug into our sound system, only to discover that it was worse than we even thought. It was kind of affirming, actually, because we've had sound issues and complaints around here forever. And Cal said, well, I can tell you exactly why. This system is a train wreck. So Cal started diving into it, and he started kind of forming some ideas. And we said, hey, we'll just buy a new system. We'll just buy a whole brand new thing and install it and we'll be all done and Cal said that's gonna be a lot of money how about this I think I can design and build and install a system for you state-of-the-art better than anyone you can purchase for a fraction of the cost and I said sold (laughs) and so Cal began to work and he probably put in not probably he easily put in over 2,000 hours on this project um, build an entire system from scratch that is now installed above my head. Hopefully it's secure up there. And, uh, and when Cal did this, here's the cool thing. When he offered his gifts in service to the church for the advancement of the kingdom, right? it wasn't just him. All of a sudden, other people started jumping on board. They got inspired. They started helping. People like Larry Hagan, who did some carpentry work for us, and Rich and Kathy Berry and Todd Bays and Joseph Cabarino and John... Uh, Garney and Mark Redlinger, who actually did the structural engineering for us, I think for free. Thank you, Mark. And Ted and Doug obviously got drug in. But there's this entire project where a group of people from the church said, Hey, guess what? I'm good at that. I've got some gifts. I could help. And maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, Well, yeah, but it's just a sound system. Who cares? This sound system will last us at least 15 years. If I know our church, probably 30. Because <laughs> we're frugal, right? Think of how many people will hear the word of God preached through this sound system. Think of how many people will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed through this sound system. Think of how many people will give their life to Jesus as Lord and Savior because of the worship that's played in and through this sound system. Why? Because one guy in our church said, I've got a gift, I could use it in the church for the glory of God. It's not that complicated. You are good at some things. Thank you, Cal. Actually, I rebuke you, Cal, for waiting so long to come forward and serve. Did you see the time-lapse video there? Did they play it? Oh, they did. Good. That's awesome. Here it is again, Romans chapter 12. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is sound tech engineering, then sound engineer the snot out of the church's sound machine. See, friends, the point is this. You are good at some stuff, too. You have some gifts as well by the grace of God. Would you surrender those gifts to the Spirit of God? Would you use those gifts as part of the church for the kingdom, for the mission of God to go forward? Would you use your gifts in partnership with some other people's gifts around here? You see, it doesn't have to be that complicated. The gifts of the Spirit are also not that limited. Sometimes I think we have this idea that... uh, that the gifts and the working of the Spirit in our lives is sort of like this, this cosmic vending machine line that sometime before, you know, you were born, you were standing in line up in heaven or maybe your, like, your name was on a form up there and it was your turn. Like, you stepped forward and you were kind of waiting and they said, Dave Teixeira, three gifts, you know, leadership, teaching, and evangelism. Like, here you go. Yes, I always wanted to be a teacher. Yeah, I got it. Here's my three, right? Next person's up. It's like, Bill Smith, Serving and giving, ah, bummer, right? Like like for somehow like you have these gifts, God's given you these gifts, they are set in stone, right? You are who you are and the gifts that you really want, the experiences that you truly wanna have, you can't have because you're just this person. And friends, I think this is a, a wrong way to think about the gifting of the spirit. I do not think it's what the Bible teaches about how the spirit works and moves in our lives. Sure, there's some tangibility, there's some predictability to the gifts, right? I can, you can count on the fact that you've been gifted in some ways and you can hold on to those gifts. They're not gonna just be gone one day. I'm not gonna stand up on a Sunday morning and all of a sudden my teaching gift is just left. You might think it has on a certain Sunday. <laughs> Maybe today's the day, but that's not how God works. But there's also, this, so there's some predictability to our gifts, but there's also a lot of fluidity to them. The scriptures tell us to desire different spiritual gifts, to seek after them and want more of the gifts of the Spirit. And it sort of implies that God's heart wants to offer you more of the gifts. There's a line I read from earlier in Romans 12. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy, it says, in accordance with your faith. In in alignment with your trust in God. Faith is just really a fancy word for for putting your trust in, right? In alignment with your faith, with your trust in God. And here's what I think Paul is saying He's saying this. When it comes to experiencing the Spirit in your life, when it comes to experiencing the gifts at work in and through you, how much do you want to trust God for? How much are you willing to risk to experience more of the Spirit? Are you willing to walk out on a limb? Are you willing to go beyond comfortable? You see, sometimes in the church, the message that gets preached, it's an underlying message, but it comes through loud and clear, is this. Be real careful and play it safe, especially when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Be real careful and play it safe. Only do, only explore what feels very comfortable to you. And friends, that is, I have to say, the opposite message of the New New Testament church. The scriptures do not say that in any way. In fact, they say exactly the opposite. God wants you to trust him for more, more experiences of him. God wants you to know that he could use you, even measly little old you, to do amazing things. If only you would put yourself out there, if only you would take a chance and risk. I will never forget the day. It was a Thursday afternoon. I had been pastoring. I was the head pastor for about two years, really young. Um, And that Thursday afternoon, an older woman from our church came into the office. She made an appointment to come in and see me. She came in. She was very timid. She was very shy. I knew this woman. She was Not outspoken. She was not bold. She was not brash. In fact, I'd probably only spoken four or five words to her up until this point. She came into my office. She sat down. We small talked for a little bit. I could tell she was very nervous, but that she had something to say. And so finally I said, Diane, why are you here? And she said, Well, Pastor Dave, I don't normally do this. In fact, I've never done this before. I'm not even sure I want to do this. But God told me, I've been praying for you and I've been praying for the church. And God told me to come in and tell you that this Sunday you're supposed to give an invitation for people to receive Jesus. And I'm really sorry if that oversteps my bounds. And I don't know. And you know, she was very apologetic and very insecure about the whole thing. And, and you know, of course I was nice to her and said, no, thank you so much for sharing. When inside I was thinking like, that's not what I want to do at all. My sermon is done and that doesn't fit in any way. But I'm a pastor, so I have to say nice stuff. I said, thank you for coming in and sharing. You know, and I'm thinking that is not God, that is something else, right, God's not telling me that, and I'm pretty sure it's my sermon, you know, kind of deal, at any rate, but the woman is so sweet, and and so nice, and so sincere, she leaves, and I just let those words simmer, and by about Saturday night, at 10 o'clock, I was sitting in front of my computer, rewriting the end of my message, Because God had used those words to say, yes, this is the right thing to do. And I tell you what, friends, I hadn't really ever done an invitation to receive Jesus before that moment. But that Sunday, I stood up, and at the end of my message, I gave an invitation. said, if you've never received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior before, if you want to make God the Lord of your life, if you want to make Jesus' death and resurrection apply to your sin, it was the most inarticulate, weakest, non luis Palau, like... (laughs) evangelistic moment of all time, and I was terrified that no one would respond. By the way, that's the secret fear of every pastor, right? That you all just sit there and look at us. And I thought, this is going to be an absolute train wreck. And that morning, 35 people gave their life to Jesus. 35 people. Because a woman said... I will go outside of my comfort zone, I will listen to the Holy Spirit, I will seek God for more, and I will take a chance. I will act in faith. Friends, you are not limited to experience the Holy Spirit and his work in your life in the same old ways you always have. He will not only work in your life in ways that feel comfortable and normal and predictable. In fact, I believe if you will trust God for more, if you will step out and risk, I believe you will begin to see him work. We will begin to see him work because who benefited from that woman's risk? I'll tell you what, I benefited. My faith grew that day. My heart for Jesus got a little bit bigger. And 35 people now know Jesus Christ as Lord because she had the faith to walk into that office and say those words that she did not in her own strength want to say. Back to Ephesians. Ch- verse 8, chapter 4. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his, his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. These are the weird verses of this chapter. In fact, most of the time when people read this chapter, they skip over these verses because we really don't know what they mean. Let me tell you what Paul's getting at here. He's talking, he's quoting a passage about King David. It's a passage in the Old Testament about King David ascended up out of the city of Jerusalem with an army in order to defeat the enemies of the people of God and regain the Ark of the Covenant for the Israelites, and the Ark of the Covenant was a big, shiny gold box that symbolized the presence of God with his people. In other words, David went up to risk his life that he might regain the presence of God for his people, and what Paul is telling us here is this. David was just a foretaste just a little indicator of who Jesus would ultimately be and what Jesus would ultimately do because Jesus didn't just risk his life to defeat our earthly enemies. He gave his life to defeat the ultimate enemy and not just to bring a gold box back, but to bring, to send down from on high, from heaven, the true presence of God for his people in and through the Holy Spirit. See, what Paul is reminding us of here is this. Jesus paid a high price so that you and I could have the presence of God in our lives, so that this power that you can engage and walk in, and these gifts that God wants to sort of use in and through you, Jesus paid the price so that that would be available to you and me. It was not a free gift. It was a gift that came at a price. And in just a moment, friends, we're going to go to these tables and we're going to share together in unity a meal that reminds us of this very fact, that Jesus' body was broken and that his blood was shed so that he could send the Holy Spirit and the power of God's personal presence down to us so that we could be empowered to be the people that God longs for us to be in this world, so that we could be empowered to advance his kingdom in this world. That's what those verses are about. But before we come to the table, before we gather to remind our minds and hearts of what Jesus did so that we could have the Holy Spirit at work in and through us, I want to close our series with a story came across this story this week, and when I read it, I thought, this is the heart of our series. This is what our series is about. We are, I think we are a church who longs to be these kinds of people, this kind of a person, who longs to be people who experience God in more and greater and more deeply significant ways. And so I just thought, this has got to be the closing story of our series and so i'm going to read this this story i hope it'll inspire you and touch you and i think you will enjoy it and then we're going to gather together at the tables and we're going to remember the death and resurrection of jesus and that the holy spirit is offered to you and me through what jesus did on the cross this is a story by a guy who i happen to like named tony campolo that's what he says there's a pentecostal college near eastern college where i teach I'm not Pentecostal, but I talk so fast that they think I'm speaking in tongues so it works out okay. One day, they invited me to speak at a chapel service. I like speaking there because they're a dynamic, happy people, and I enjoy being with them. Just before I spoke, eight guys took me into a back room of the chapel and got me down on my knees. Then they laid their hands on my head and prayed for me. That's good. I need all the prayer I can get. There was only one problem. These guys prayed a long time. And that's usually okay too. But the longer they prayed, the more tired they got, and the more tired they got, the more they leaned on my head. And I want to tell you, when eight guys are leaning on your head, it does not feel so good. One guy wasn't even praying for me. Instead, he went on and on praying for for Charlie Stolfus. Dear Lord, he shouted, you know Charlie Stolfus. He lives in that silver trailer down the road about a mile. You know the trailer, Lord, just down the road on the right-hand side. I felt like saying, dude, knock it off. Do you think God doesn't know the address and he needs you to remind him? Anyway, he went on and on and on. Lord, Charlie told me this morning he has decided to leave his wife and three kids. He's told me he's walking out on his family. Lord, step in, do something. Bring the people in that family together again, Lord. All this time, I'm kneeling there with eight guys leaning on my head, asking myself, when is this guy going to knock it off so I can get these Pentecostal preachers off my head? (laughs) But he went on and on about Charlie Stolfus leaving his wife and kids, giving God constant reminders that they lived in a silver trailer about a mile down the road on the right-hand side. Finally, the prayers were over. I went into the pulpit and preached. After I finished, I greeted the people, got into my car, drove down the Pennsylvania turnpike and headed for home. Now, as I drove onto the turnpike, I noticed a hitchhiker. I know you're not supposed to pick them up, but I'm a preacher, and whenever I can get anybody locked in as a captive audience, <laughs> I do it. So I stopped and picked him up. We drove a few minutes, and I said, Hi, my name's Tony Campolo. What's yours? He said, My name's Charlie Stolfus. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I got off the turnpike at the next exit and headed back he got a bit uneasy with that and after a few minutes he said, hey mister, where are you taking me? I said, I'm taking you home. He narrowed his eyes and asked, why? I said, because you just left your wife and three kids, right? That blew him away. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's right, he said. With shock, shock written all over his face, he plastered himself against my car door and never took his eyes off me. I drove off the turnpike at the next exit Then I really did him in as I drove right to his silver trailer. When I pulled up, his eyes seemed to bulge as he asked, How did you know I live here? I said, God told me. I believe God did tell me. We got out of the car and I ordered him to get in that trailer. Half shaking, he answered, Right, right, Mr. Sure thing, I'm going. When he opened the trailer door, his wife exclaimed, Charlie, you're back. He whispered in her ear, and the more he talked, the bigger her eyes got. Then I said with real authority, You two, sit down. I'm going to talk to the two of you, and you're going to listen. Man, did they listen. I mean, I was like E.F. Hutton. That afternoon, I led those two young people to Jesus Christ. And to this day, that guy is still a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ out in California. See, friends, when we embrace a life lived by the Spirit of God, He can do more in us and through us than we can ever imagine. That is why we've preached this series. That is why we will continue to talk about the Holy Spirit and His work in our lives in this place because I believe God's not done with Cedar Mill yet. Amen? Let's pray. Father, as we prepare to to go to the table and remember and declare your son, his death, his resurrection, the life we have in him, the spirit that you offer us, Lord, we ask, God, that you would continue to show us and lead us and give us courage and boldness and faith to step in and embrace more of who you are more of how you want to work in us. God, give us us courage, give us faith, give us the ability to push past the norms of church life, the comfort of religious routine. God, we don't want that. We reject that. We repent from that, and we turn back to you. We turn to the Holy Spirit, life with you. That you long to give us and so this morning god we give all the glory to jesus we thank you for this series we thank you for the gift of your spirit and how you are going to work in and amongst us and use us we long to be used we thank you for how you're going to use us cedar mill bible church to change the course of history, to change lives for the gospel in this world. We long for that. We want that, Lord. And we will give you all the praise and glory. We pray it all in the precious and wonderful name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.